All right, folks, welcome to this episode of Extended Blend as we continue our theme of the future of work. And, you know, when we talk about the future of work, we don't just talk about all the great things technology can do for work, but, you know, how do we use this opportunity in emerging technology to kind of reimagine how we do work, why we do work, maybe even changing, um, you know, what we define as work um, and not just as a measurement of output and productivity, but enjoyment, satisfaction, and just impact. And of course, you can't do impact without working together. I think that's one of the core components of future of work. And of course, working together means uh, collaboration. Uh, that's why I'm so excited to have the CEO of Docket Simulations, Matt Chacon, on the show. What's up, Matt? How you doing? Good, good. How you doing? Great seeing you, Vinay. Seeing you um, again. Yeah, for sure. It's great to have you back. And of course, yeah. along with Matt and I, we have the usual suspects, Nervin Kirby. What's up, guys? Got to get off mute there first. Yeah, it's going well. Uh, excited for today's talk. Yeah, I'm particularly excited because Nerv just had throat surgery. So that means we're not going to get any song references. So that's a plus. We'll I'll, try to fill, I'll try to fill in where uh, <laughs> Nerv is deficient. Yeah. I'll try to, to bring us down a notch. <laughs> we'll have to do the uh, future music after this season. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And Matt, yeah, we're super stoked to be talking about uh, you know this topic with you. You know, Matt, you're named a top twenty VR exec. You're also a self-proclaimed dragon slaying man of the people. Uh, how's uh, the last year been for you? Uh, been slaying dragons, brother. <laughs> it's been good. <laughs> it's been good. Like everyone, I retreated to my living room uh, to work, where I've actually been working for the last decade, a little over a decade, but. Uh, during COVID, I was able to do it with many boxes of wine. So I thought I'd join that club. So it was great, actually. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm sure you're not alone uh, with that. Um, but you know, I was going to ask you, like, how did you get into emerging technologies and specifically in VR? Uh, great question. Gosh. Um, so VR, so my, my journey to VR, I'll be brief. Uh, if I'm not, please, please interrupt me. I will not be offended. I lost my pride when I started dating. So <laughs> in, interrupt away, man. Um, but I, I actually, uh, after the very first Tron movie was released, I went to a toy store at the mall by myself, rode my little bike up there, took my paper out money, and I bought a Tron game, like a, like a tabletop video game. It was a light cycle video game. This is a long time ago, when I'm sure some of your listeners were long from being born. <laughs> and uh, I then also went to another store in the mall called Radio Shack. I have no idea if they're still around. And I bought a bunch of potentiometers and mercury switches. You could buy those back then. And they're actual mercury <laughs> in little vials. I don't know if you can still buy them. Uh, little breadboards and everything. And I took it all back. Got um, took apart um, my parents' stereo, took all the speaker wire from it, um, stole my mom's isotoner gloves, I stole my sister's, um, her chemistry goggles from her chemistry class. She was, you know, almost two years ahead of me in school. And I built my first VR headset. I took the whole game apart, put it together with the gloves, put made little, uh, the controllers on the mercury switches, you know, sewed them into the, my mom's gloves. That was my first foray into VR. Um, and I was really disappointed because it was basically the Nintendo Virtual Boy or whatever that was back in the day. And I'm like, yo, man, I I, I invented that like 10 years before it came out. <laughs> man, Matt, we sh if we were playing 80s throwback bingo, you, I think you would have, uh, yeah, we, so we would got some scores by now. This is amazing. We would be uh, the intelligence. 
that would be the name of our team. <laughs> if we could do that, it would be I, awesome. I, I hope you have some photographs of that. Uh, it's good I, history. I, I do have photographs of that. Um, I w am not sharing them because they're embarrassing. Um, <laughs> we can we can, we can blur your uh, we can blur your face. It's just, okay. just, just put the black bar over my eyes. That yeah, I think we actually need a picture as we post this episode. I got I got to see this. All right, perfect. I'll send you some photos. <laughs> um, it was cool, man. So that was my first foray, and then uh, um, you know the the brief history is uh, I was I grew up in poverty. I was way too poor to go to college. I couldn't afford college, so instead I helped start a website development company in 1994. We did nothing special. So for all of you entrepreneurs out there who get keep getting asked by VCs, what's your secret sauce? Just ignore that or tell them to f off because. They have never taken the entrepreneurial journey. I literally built a company. We did nothing special. We built websites, but we had a niche. We built sports websites. That's it. Everybody was building websites back then. Uh, three and a half years after that, starting that company, we had a $63 million IPO. We had no secret sauce. <laughs> we just built That's sports amazing. websites. So um, I'm here to tell you, you know, work hard, focus, focus on a niche, and you can make it happen. Anyway, I've been doing that, and uh, that led me to starting Dockhead Simulations. Um, went to college along the way, but I uh, got a few degrees along the way. But, but I want to start Dockhead Simulations because pretty much since 1994, I've, I've been working remotely, you know, off and on. And, uh, and I needed a more immersive way to do that. So hence the company was born. And you guys got started early. Like, I, you know, I think you saw that vision early. I remember... Um pretty early in the beginning as people are like, there's got to, you know, productivity, if sure it's entertainment, but as the first conversations about work and productivity were coming on, you're already there. Uh, you know, you had a small team coming up with, uh, you know, some virtual spaces. Um, that's a pretty bold move. Uh, what really compelled you to start then? Uh, that's actually a very good question. So I, I had another company at the time, a company called ruckworks.guru. And um, you know, we just, we did agile consulting. It was just an app, simple agile consultancy, but we had customers all over the world. And, um, the reason we actually started in 2016, early, early 2016 is, uh, I was having a problem. So I, I needed to solve a problem with my current company because we were using, uh, blue jeans, um, you know, Uber conference, I believe, uh, at the time we were using everything on the market, FaceTime, I mean, you name it, Skype, we were doing, using everything and nothing worked. It did not fulfill our needs. And so I was traveling a lot as a result. You know, I just could not, I needed an immersive meeting and travel is expensive. So we just decided, Hey, look, I called a few of my friends and I said, look, I need, I have all these customers. I've got customers. I literally, one day I had a customer, I had meetings with customers in Sweden, Japan, and India and Malmo, Sweden, all in one day. And it was a very long day and they needed to be face to face. And I, they were it was like a giant failure of a day. And I said, you know, we need to do this. So um, using spatial computing technologies and, you know, we kind of knocked our heads together. And over the course of a long three day weekend, we built a prototype for Rumi. It was the very first iteration of Rumi and it was a total dog with fleas. It was horrible, <laughs> but we were able to prove the concept. And, you know, I was able to prove I just called up my customers and said, hey, I built this thing. Um, you want to try it? You know, more of my tech forward customers. They said, yeah. Um, and so we were we were shipping out builds of the software for them just to run on their on their computers and play like a like a first person shooter game. 
and boom, that was immersive. And that alone provided a deeper, much deeper level of engagement than I was getting over, you know, bad video calls and audio and all, all the other stuff. So um, that, that's why we did it. And it really worked and sold that company and started this one. So that's the textbook uh, entrepreneur's journey, scratch an itch and build an MVP and keep going, iterate. 100% man. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head when you said iterate. Um, Cause it was, it was an, look, if like someone once said, if you're not embarrassed by your first version of your product, you're not doing it right. And I was deeply ashamed of that product, <laughs> but it was very embarrassing. Um, but you know, Hey, it, it, we iterated out and it turned out it worked out. So and here we are, you know, almost five years later, um, still kicking. That's amazing. What, what a journey. Um, and I think, you know, that itch, uh, you're, you're still scratching that itch because there's, there's still so much opportunity in collaboration. Um, how, how was 2020 uh, for, for you and the company, especially as we're all in lockdown um, and, you know, we're trying to figure out like how to do this better? Yeah, man, I, I'll tell you, um, I think at the beginning, you know, people, people really didn't know what to do. Uh, there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear you know, with the pandemic, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. We didn't know if it was going to last four weeks, four months, four years, and no, nobody knew. So, um, so we, we actually, you know, a lot of people were, were diving into um, just the current market incumbents, Zoom, BlueJeans, Skype, blah, blah, blah. Um, they were, and a lot of people are still using that, but they're, they're figuring out that they don't really solve their need. Um, but for us, you know, we had already been working for years, our entire team remotely. Um, uh, we didn't have an office. We have never have any plans to actually buy office space. So we had kind of cracked that nut early on and our customers increased <clears throat> by over 1400% in the first 90 days. Um, wow. And where, where were your leads? Where were these customers coming from? Literally all over the world. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, they were, it, we weren't sure kind of, you know, anytime you have a spike like that, you shouldn't get too excited about it because it's gonna it's gonna dip, and then you kind of we're we're waiting for that dip and trying to see okay where are they where they're gonna stabilize, but it's still stabilized around seven hundred percent, and the majority of those customers were coming from education and enterprise spaces, primarily education spaces, in Western Europe and North America. So North America includes like Canada, a lot from Montreal actually, Canada, um, America, you know, all throughout America. I mean, every, every nook and cranny of America and uh, high schools, K through 12, you know, higher ed, and then Western Europe. So when we looked at the data, a lot of it was coming from Spain, um, the UK, a ton from the UK, uh, Paris, big, big, you know, user base in Paris. Any, and, any surprises in any of the regions or areas? Yeah, I was actually surprised by Italy, actually. Um, I've been to Italy and, you know, they, they're not so... Um, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be disparaging, but they're not so, it's not like America where everyone's, you know, looking at their hand and scrolling the, you know, on a phone with their thumb and it, it, Italy just doesn't do that. So I was actually legitimately shocked that we were getting a lot of engagement in Italy. That, that's actually interesting. I think of course, uh, you know, some correlation of collaboration and just interpersonal communication, right? Very people centric cultures. Is there, um, is there any correlation aside from like an Italy or cultures that really feel compelled to take advantage of uh, more of a natural way to communicate? Yeah, well, I think, you know, a lot of people want and need, you know, as human beings, we have this deep need 
just to be around other human beings. We have a deep need to socialize and be social. Um, and you know, spatial computing, any spatial computing technology does not absolutely does not replace that. So there, you know, there's a lot of cultures in Western Europe and specifically uh, the Middle East that are very forward, you know, relationship in person, you know, relationship building. Um, you know, you have to build a an in person relationship with a human being before anything happens. Um, and a lot of that had changed. You know, we got um, the Sultanate of Oman. Uh, was very active with us. Um, Dubai with a ton of activity there um, and Europe, you know, kind of all throughout Europe. Um, and you know, I've been to all of these places and they're all very, you know, the cultures are very, are, are one of each one are of, you know, personal interactions, you know, face-to-face mm-hmm. -face personal interactions. And, and we definitely saw that change. You know, they were trying, trying to, to replace it and, you know, quickly learned just to augment it. Mm -hmm. And in those cultures where, you need to have that kind of interpersonal trust. You know, you kind of do that checklist there. Is using spatial compute covering your face, those things, are there? Are they barriers or how, you know, how are they overcoming uh, more of that hardware friction point? Yeah, man. Um, so in education, yeah, it's even still, even with the, the lower price points of a lot of the HMDs on the market, even still, it's very cost prohibitive for K through 12 you know, schools, um, you know, some colleges, it's very cost prohibitive. And, and a lot of, you know, at the beginning, beginning of the pandemic, a lot of um, customers of ours, or just, you know, people are experimenting with the, the software are cash conscious. Very, because, you know, they just didn't know, am I going to lose my job? How, how long am I going to be here? So a lot of, we saw a lot of people, you know, advancing these cash conscious behaviors and, you know, um, telling us, hey, you know, even a $400 headset, a $600 headset is very cost prohibitive to me. So no problem, you know, we're device agnostic, you can still use our software on a PC. And we saw about 70% of our initial customers early on using us outside of VR, but still actively using us simply because they were able to do things that were unique to the spatial computing environment that you just cannot do in a flat 2D you know, interface. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you feel like the ability to do those things helps them to kind of overcome some of that uh, physical barrier, right, of, of using an HMD? It did, but it, it absolutely did. But, um, you know, to, to this day, we still um, advise our customers not to do everything in an HMD. Um, I, you know, I, I really don't think there's a need for that. Yeah, like, um, I'll give you a good example. Uh, we're used a lot in math and science classes. Um, you know, run the gamut, K through 12 and higher ed, you know, math and science. And, you know, what, what we tell, they, they come to us and they, <laughs> I kind of feel like a consultant sometime, a lot of times when they're just like, how do I do this? What's the best way? And really what we tell them is, look, if you're teaching a complex topic like, um, you know, uh, vector math, for example, and you're drawing a Euclidean vector, you're trying to t talk about Euclidean vectors and draw a three-dimensional Cartesian plane, XYZ, on a 2D whiteboard in class experience, or you're trying to replicate that on Zoom, you know, the, the light bulbs j are just not going off. You know, the, there's nothing's clicking with these students. And But when you can put them in, so you can teach the class and then say, okay, now I'm going to teach you how 
to draw, I'm going to teach you about vector math, like how to draw a vector in one direction. And then we're going to look at that thing and calculate the dot product and the cross product and all of these kind of complex topics. But when you can do that in VR and I can load a three-dimensional Cartesian plane and I can just have the student click in one point, drag a vector to another point, release, and it creates the vector. It'll show them all of the values associated with I mean, the light bulbs start sure. immediately. And For it's sure. simply the experience of that. So. You know, you touched on so many great examples. I love the culture aspect. I think that's one we rarely touch on when we're talking about collaboration and adoption. Um, you know, you're, I think you're a very principle driven person. When you think about Doghead and you think about building collaboration platforms, what are your product principles or pillars? How are you kind of guiding your direction for your teams to, you know, build that uh, next generation platform? Man, I'm, I'm really, so first of all, I didn't see any of these questions beforehand. Um, uh, you know, these guys, usually I'll get like a list of questions at the last minute I try to prep. So just so everybody knows, these guys gave me jack squat. <laughs> so I didn't see anything. So I was going to tell you, that's a great question. I'm really happy that you asked it, actually. Um, nobody asked that question. And, and it's a great question to ask because we have, um, a, I think we approach design and development in a very unique fashion. That's so unique. Most of, if not all of our industry just doesn't do it. So we do two things. Our first principle is frictionless. It must be absolute, an absolutely frictionless experience. Number two, it, it, we need to be um, cost sensitive. So we know that our, a lot of our buyers are, you know, are, are still our number one, I mean, by an astronomical, astronomical long shot, our number one revenue driver are higher education uh, institutions um, by a long shot. It is not to enterprise. I'm here to tell you, they're not buying. They might buy a couple things to experiment with, but in my experience, it's education, education and training. And so, um, but they're still cost, you know, cost sensitive. And number three is no releases, um, no unnecessary releases. So how we do that is we we ask our customers, every customer that comes to us. Um, I still do. I personally do most of the sales. Um, I, I pick up the phone, I call people all the time. I'm very active in my company. Um, and I'll ask them three questions. What do you want? What do you need? And what are you willing to pay for? And then we kind of figure out, well, Rumi as it is fits all of those needs. So I'll finish up by saying this. I haven't released a new version of my Rumi software since December, 2018. I haven't needed to, not a single customer has complained. Zero customers are saying, where's this feature? Where's that feature? In fact, we, we're removing features <laughs> from our software. Wow. Can you actually expand on that one? How, how does the drives that? Yeah. yeah. So I think our, our industry is still a relatively nascent industry. So what we should absolutely not be doing is releasing a new HMD every 18 months. We should not be releasing new product releases every two weeks using an agile and scrum, you know, methodology and framework. And the reason I say that is because people are still figuring out how to use this. We're, I'm, I've been running this company for five years quite successfully. And I don't have customers knocking down my door saying, give me this feature, give me that feature. They're saying, I mean, the, the, the conversations are still extremely basic. So what we've been doing over the last 18 months is reskinning the software that we currently have 
and we're getting ready to release um, a new version of the software that absolutely does have some uh, feature requests that companies have that people you know people and companies have asked for. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to first of all spend a lot of money because I'm extremely cheap. I've learned being a startup CEO, you need to be the cheapest human being on planet Earth. So it takes a lot for me to blow the dust off the wallet, you know, and creak it open to make a spend. And that that translates to development dollars. And um, probably also your philosophy too, right? You probably realize those that are buying from you are also kind of in this uh, trailblazing path and they're not just trying to spend. They, they need impact uh, very soon. They need impact, yeah. So there's, a, I'm not going to lie. There, there are a few things that are just absolutely missing from Rumi. Like it is ugly. I, I'll be honest with you. I do not like the interface right now. It's ugly. We, we fixed that. It's the new interface is truly Adobe class, you know, quote unquote Adobe class, very clean, very simple, very nice. Um, and the features where we're removing some features and functionality and we're adding a few extra, but that people have been asking for, but no one is clamoring down, banging down my door saying, if you don't buy, if you don't, you know, institute this feature, we're not going to buy from you. Or we're going to go somewhere else. I don't have a single human being saying that. Um, so and let me just finish by saying this. I, so, um, so that's helped us um, be, you know, very conservative in our development of what we're doing and still maintain um, a high degree of trust with our customers. And we're still delivering what they actually need because the impact is there. You know, Rumi as it stands does provide that impact. And quite frankly, I will say another thing that might be controversial um, you know, I'm, our software is in use by over 7,000 institutions around the world, and and, wow. in, and institution represents anywhere from three free users to over 2,000 paid licensed subscribers. Um, I don't have a single customer asking for Rumi to support the Oculus. And so that's all on Rumi, that many customers? All on Rumi. Wow. Yep. And I don't have a single one asking me for Oculus. Not, not, not one, which is profound, I think, because... You know, it's a great, it's a great HMD. It's an excellent six off HMD, but we're not in the store because people are saying we don't want that, that HMD. I can't use it. You know, I don't need Facebook harvesting my data. I'm running mm -hmm. a school. I can't have students <laughs> have their, their data harvested. Same thing with, with our enterprise customers and our DOD customers. What, uh, what platforms are, what hardware platforms are, are your customers on? Most of them are on, um, they're still you know, chugging away, getting as much life out of their original Qu Oculus Quest um, as they can. Um, their Oculus goes, actually, until they sunset that. We still have a lot of customers using Oculus goes, believe it or not. And then um, the Pico Neo 2, um, that is extremely popular. Um, that has been my number one request, actually, as far as HMDs worldwide, globally, is the Pico Neo 2. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm curious too, like your development philosophy. Uh, you know, you mentioned you haven't really updated the kind of front end user experience uh, in some time and you've taken features out, uh, which probably makes it easier to maintain the code and keep it more secure and so on. Uh, what about the back end though? Like how, how are you finding uh, scaling to, to larger customer bases? Brother, it is all about the back end, all about that. So we have completely changed and re-architected our back end twice, completely changed it so that we can meet that scalability. Um, and security is very, very top of mind for a lot of our customers, um, information security. So we've had to, we've had to change some things in the back end to, um, you know, to, to satisfy those, those customer needs. 
So I don't have a lot of customers saying, you know, even complaining about the interface. I think I'm the only one that keeps complaining about it, <laughs> making my dev team crazy. But, um, but you know, the application layer, kind of what the user sees, right now it's still fulfilling their need. That's not going to last forever. You know, we so we have been working to change that. But really, it's the middle tier and the back, the back end that people, you know, kind of scratch their heads and they they call us up and they say, I need this to be more secure or you know, this needs to, this is a little laggy. We need to make it faster. So we have a lot of backend changes. Um, mm -hmm. that That's a really, really and, good question, man. And integrations as well. Like, do you have an API then? We uh, we haven't talked about that, but uh, publicly. But yes, I can tell you that yes, we will be releasing an API with the next release. You know, um, product integrations are. It it's funny because it used to be early on. It used to the number one request by a long shot was a whiteboard. Everybody wanted a whiteboard. Then everybody wanted, we, we put in a whiteboard. Then everybody wanted a, a web browser. And then they said, web browser in VR is horrible. Let's get rid of it. So we had one, we got rid of it. <laughs> um, so it went from whiteboard uh, to better uh, audio quality of service, which is big. The spatial audio is, is probably one of the most important things um, to, that you can do to make a truly immersive experience. And then it went to API. So I would say globally, I don't have any, I don't have a single customer saying, you know, if you don't have an API, we're not going to use you. But I do have a lot of customers asking, when are you going to release an API? Because not necessarily I want to integrate with this or that, but I want to build my own this or that for my okay. own. Yeah. So, so one more question. I really like the uh, kind of dev side of this. Uh, I think I heard you say you have DOD customers as well. So can the product be run like on-premise then? Uh, good question. No, I can't. So we actually have two customers that um, are asking for an on-premise, you know, kind of standalone, very secure environment. Uh, one is our space customers. We, we do have, a, so the Mobile Satellite Users Group Association uses us. So think like Solstar, um, you know, Blue Origin, these types of customers. They, they want to put VR in space. And that's a problem because there's no AWS in space, right? <laughs> you know, there's, there's, we're, we're, there's no cloud services out there yet. Well, not yet. There's no, there's no clouds <laughs> in space. Tech, literally, there are no clouds in space. Yes. So it makes <laughs> there's sense. Probably a, there's probably a junk cloud floating around. <laughs> True. <laughs> a cloud of trash. But um, yes, there are no, no virtual or literal clouds in space. Uh, well played, Vinay. Well played. Um, <laughs> But, uh, and then the DOD. So, but you know, we have a pretty hard line where we say, look, we're not gonna work on any, on any classified domains. Um, so if you wanna use us, you can use us on unclassified domains. Um, but I have actually given our, uh, you know, some, a deeper level of engagement to a lot of areas of you know, our team and our software uh, to a couple three-letter government agencies because they do need to do their own due diligence to even make that determination, right? Do mm -hmm. we want to even spend the time and money to help these guys build a standalone interface? Because that's a complete re-architecture, man. Right. Yeah. Um, and then one other thing I think you kind of mentioned too is uh, when you talk about not needing so many features, uh, but, you know, as Nerva kind of points out, it's... Um, Interface continues to be that innovation, right? So you have to give the time, the audience time to come to the technology because it does require uh, a tremendous amount of mental shift. Um, you know, Matt, when you think about, you know, this, this future of work um, and we're now we're kind of transitioning to uh, the opportunity of 
of what we've learned in 2020 um, as technologies kind of evolve, but more so mind shift, right? I think that's where we're trying to see is this mind shift of there's got to be another way to do this aside from having to travel all the time. I agree with, you, with your earlier statement. We're not going to use spatial compute or technology for everything. So of course, we're going we're gonna to travel again, but there's so many opportunities where that's not a requirement, or at least not everybody has to travel. Um, how do you see this evolve, uh, the need for collaboration? Um, how do you how do you find this, the dialogue of all the expectations? What do you think the next year or two is going to look like? Yeah, man, I, I think the next year or two um, will. So people are still learning to adopt this. I think what's happening, what we're seeing actually is people kind of leaned into, like I said, the existing market incumbents, the Zooms, the Blue Jeans of the world, the Skypes, um, and they're using those for to satisfy very specific market needs, very specific needs of their teams, which work perfectly fine. There's not, a, you know, there's there's many reasons to use them. I mean, I, you know, they're, they're not going away anytime soon. But our, our users are then figuring out, well, I can't do, um, I need like a deeper level, of, deeper level of engagement. So we're actually seeing uh, this shift in how our more, a lot of our long-term users use Rumi, not necessarily the, the new users. You can almost set your watch by, you know, how new user adoption. Every new user pretty much adopts the exact same way. They all have the same questions. Uh, we have a script now that we just respond with. Um, you know, our COO, Jen Chavez, built an absolutely beautiful uh, Rumi user guide that she's regularly updating this, you know, because we get a lot, this new user adoption, it's pretty much a cookie cutter process now on how people adopt. So we just ship that out to them and it satisfies so, a lot of them. Sounds like you need like a virtual human. To, a virtual to human would be great. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. You want to build me one? <laughs> Chatbot 3.0. Perfect. Um, but we're seeing um, a shift in how a lot of our long-term users uh, use the software. So, you know, we're used in, um, you know, higher ed, you know, um, uh, use cases at like Harvard, you know, uh, Yale, MIT, these types of schools are using us and have been using, have been, they adopted Rumi in 2016 and they're still using Rumi to this day. But how they use us is not how they used to use us. How they used to use us, they tried doing everything in Rumi. Now they don't do that. They actually use Skype and, you know, BlueJeans and all the, you know, Microsoft Teams. And, you know, a lot of our users actually have adopted Microsoft Teams to satisfy a lot of their needs. Our long-term users, our long-term users. But how they use us is they'll typically use us about once a day, around 30 minutes, once a day to do a very specific task. And what that task is, uh, long-term users, our education customers, use us for um, like deeper levels of engagement on math and science topics. Um, it, it varies on what those topics are, but anytime they need a deeper level of engagement, they'll, they'll do that. They'll throw on the HMD and they'll use it for like 30 minutes and then that's it. And they'll, they'll move on with their lives. That's, that's fascinating. So you're saying just by solving that very difficult challenge, if you're trying to do it remotely, it's good enough. 30 minutes is good enough because it solves the problem. 30 minutes is good enough. Um, and, you know, are you, yes, it, you know, it's interesting because the, our UBC customers, we had a, some students at UBC. I, I randomly came across these, by the way. Uh, I did not even know that UBC was a customer of ours, but I randomly, this was a few years back. I randomly came across these videos that these students had just pushed to YouTube talking about Rumi. They were doing Rumi reviews 
and um, they were this group of technical introverts. And something that they said a few years back that I keep hearing repeated even more so during the pandemic is this phrase. It's a variation on this phrase. They say, I like the mask of the avatar because it helps me express myself in bigger ways. And that alone is profound to me because when you're doing a video call, you know, you don't need to turn on your video. You don't need to wear pants or do your hair and makeup or whatever, you know, you can turn off your video, but a lot of managers want that video on. So, and I get this question a lot. So what I'll say is, okay, well, here's the thing from UBC, it's been repeated, um, try this. And I'll tell them, you don't even need an HMB to try it, just try this. Don't use a video call, um, use Rumi. It's far less bandwidth than a video call. So you're gonna get a higher level of, of audio quality of service and a deeper level of immersion just in a 2D interface. It's like playing a first person shooter game. And not all the time, but, but the lion's share of the time, um, that alone is successful. And then that helps with HMD adoption. So, I mean, that, that is, I think you're, some people listen to this right now, their mind just exploded because for a very long time, so many circles, studies, analysis, it's really about how can you get someone to use a very specific amount of time, getting them to that, you know, that, that usage time gets them to for platform adoption. But, you know, what you're talking about here too is, being able to use it for a very particular use case, because that use case is something only spatial compute can solve. Um, and I love this continuing uh, conversation around education, because one of the things the pandemic's also kind of unveiled is um, that veil um, around higher ed. That you know, it's it's there's so many opportunities for just a better way to do it, and especially some of those distance learning uh, companies that or those uh, institutions that have been doing distance learning, um, and then everyone's trying to transfer and still charge you know, 100K for a program. And you're like, this is not just transferring to 2D is not worth that level of education. Um, but these these are all just such great proof points. I think talking about it from a global adoption, which is super exciting, uh, the education use case, the, the introverts, I love that because so much of how we can thrive is really about our environment. And uh, sometimes we're kind of thrown into these very fixed situations. So this is, this is truly uh, fascinating and exciting. I think it's very hopeful as we look at what's the future. So it almost seems like when we think about the future of work and we think about collaboration, we're, we're really thinking about solving these very unique niche problems. They're not niche because they're small. They're niche because they don't happen all the time, but they drive a lot of impact. Um, it, it's, it's really cool to kind of see these stories um, and see this, see this come to life. Yeah. It, the other thing I was going to mention too is, you know, with the future of work, there's also the future of education. And along with that is, you know, I think it's a good thing. More and more institutions are looking at project-based uh, evaluations, small teams. Uh, so when you mentioned that early morning or the, the particular use case uh, in math, what actually I was thinking about, okay, every morning it could be a team doing a stand-up. And that might be a nice way to uh, communicate and then sort of be more asynchronous throughout the day uh, working on your tasks. Yeah, we do. Um, we absolutely have that. So we have um, a lot of our uh, software development teams globally are, have adopted Agile and Scrum, you know, or, or, or some, you know, they've adopted the Agile methodology and some framework. Typically, it's the Scrum framework. 
and we see a lot of standups. Uh, I would say the the lion's share of how our enterprise customers use us is for a standup, um, a daily standup. We we see that a lot, and you know even though they're supposed to run fifteen minutes, they usually run thirty two an hour <laughs> from, mm-hmm. from from our metrics. What we see, but um, but yeah, so that's a good you know. And I do want to go back to you know, one thing I was saying about the introverts is the the way that people express themselves. So you know, I'm my family's from Spain. And we settled in Arizona. Um, I look like a white dude, so I tell everybody I'm just a white dude from Arizona. <laughs> but I'm actually Spanish. <laughs> I don't sound like I don't have any cool thick head of hair, no no beautiful tan, no cool accent, nothing. But I do speak with my hands very very vividly. And in the a lot of the cultures where people are expressive like that, um, it's hard to do. I've noticed in in video calls they'll they'll try to, they'll either, you know, they'll talk like they do with their hands and it's very distracting or they'll try to um, censor themselves, but not at all in spatial computing. You know, you see hands flying around and you know, who's on three off, sixth off, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> who's, mm-hmm. who's not at all. Um, but it, they really like the expressive nature of that. And the other thing I'll see, I'll say that I see this all happen a lot in Rumi and alt space. It's just the organic use of the emojis. Um, people will express themselves in the moment using emojis. It doesn't happen on video calls. It does not happen in face-to-face. People just won't smile or maybe they'll crack a little grin, but it doesn't provide the same level of impact to the instructor or the speaker. So it, it's nice no, to get that. No eye rolls. Oh, brother, I've, I've, I've <laughs> seen some people give me eye rolls that you can hear. <laughs> yeah, I love the emoji stuff, though. I think there's so there's something about well, I mean, in general, the ability to give feedback, expressing yourselves, expression, right? I think it's so key in collaboration, whether it's through your hands, head nods, eye movements. Emojis are also awesome, but I think there's something about engagement. You know, one of the challenges about Zoom fatigue is because there's no engagement there, right? So you're on because you're on video. You kind of have this subconsciousness of just trying to be upright, whatever the case may be. But you're also not really interacting as much. So when you're done, you have all the fatigue from interacting, but none of the really benefits. And the thing, the great thing about uh, using emojis is, is that because you're, you're interacting, you're also kind of thinking about what you feel, but I also feel like you're paying attention, right? Um, and there's, there's something about being able to float a thumbs up or like uh, an OMG symbol that makes you kind of listen to kind of what's out there. And I, I've, I've been in these interactions where even every simple conversation, I was so engaged uh, as a result um, of that. And, you know, of course, there's something weird about emojis too, especially in VR, in that you don't feel labeled by them, right? Like I gave you, you know, eight thumbs up way in the beginning, I got super excited, but I don't feel embarrassed by it. Whereas a conversation, I may not really react. How do you feel that changes the nature of collaboration? And how is that going to impact, uh, you know, the future of work? Well, first of all, first of all, let me just say, preach the word, my brother, to everything you just said, because I see that all the time. I personally experienced that when I go to, a, you know, I, I, I do attend a lot of events in alt space um, and other platforms. <clears throat> and uh, just because I love the industry and I'm trying to help it, help it succeed. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's, you know, everything you said, great. It's, I have experienced all of that myself. But that provides the answer. How to answer your question is it provides a very deep level of engagement because it actually helps people 
um, stay present in the moment. You know, if I'm listening to you and I know I've got the mask of an avatar, I can kind of walk around. I'm, I'm not stuck in my seat, stuck in front of a camera. I can, you know, walk around the room. You can't do that when you're at a, you know, a talk at CES, right? You can't just get up and walk around to another seat and sit down. But people do it all the time. They'll mix and mingle and shuffle and they'll click each other's avatar and say, who are you? And they connect that way while the talk is going on. Then they engage with the talk. So they engage with the audience, number one, during the talk, about the talk, and then they'll engage with the speaker by throwing up an emoji. And then the speaker, while they're talking, will do the same thing. So it's, I think what we're seeing is a fundamental shift in how people, number one, interact with each other online. You know, it's no longer... You know, we've we've gone from the the cool BBS mudrooms that I used to play in, you know, back in the day, <laughs> to the horrible, you know, ICQ chat rooms where people were picking fights with each other, to social media, which is an atrocity, right? It it can be really bad for your soul. <laughs> oh um, yeah. Yep. To to something brand brand new, and I truly believe that it's the norm it's going to be it's very much the norm in my reality but it's going to be the norm it's going to overtake a lot of these experiences but we're seeing people cogitate differently we're actually seeing people cognitively process information in new ways and quicker ways and actually more meaningful ways um and i can tell you i have made so many irl friends in real life friends by uh through spatial computing. A lot of these people I've never met actually <laughs> in real life, but we are legitimate friends. We connect in Rumi, we'll connect. You know, I, I do workouts all the time inside Rumi. I have people from all over the world will join me in workouts and, you know, either stay or leave, you know, whatever, it kind of depends. <laughs> but um, I've driven to go during the pandemic and pre-pandemic, I've actually driven to go meet up with these friends these people I actually did that recently i was in dc i was actually drove to the west coast or to the east coast and you know we we're you know very we actually have a, a list of covid protocols before i meet someone <laughs> i need we us both to, it's kind of a weird reality but i feel like i'm in a sci-fi movie but we need to <laughs> show on our phones yes i do have a negative covid test and i do have a map for you yeah it's weird but you know hey i don't want to get covid and i've been able to <laughs> not hey get I, I mean but you know something about a process that allows you to still meet people because you could go the other extreme, both extremes, never yeah. see anybody or see everybody. Um, this is kind of a happy medium. What do you think is different? Um, you know, you're, you're driving to meet friends. Well, how is this different um, than, you know, our traditional ways of kind of social interactions through digital media? Why is this so much more compelling? Well, I think because you do have the mask of an avatar, um, that's a great question. I don't think I have an answer to that, but I have an opinion. So let me just give you my opinion. Um, first of all, on social media, um, it's very easy. You, you actually don't have a mask at all. But people know, hey, this is Matt Chacon's Facebook account or his Instagram or whatever. And I can respond to or pick a fight with people you know, on these social platforms and they see my face and they can click and they can go a deep dive and they can troll me and I control them, but it feels somehow removed. We absolutely feel removed. So we feel like we have this wall between us when we absolutely do not, but we feel like we have it. And I think the reason is because of there's a delay. 
you know, even if we're in this real time chat, there's still a delay. I'm not seeing you on video. I'm typing away with my thumbs or I'm voice to texting this thing. I'm just clicking send, 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 send. Um, whereas, so, so it feels, you feel protected actually. You feel this bizarre sense of protection. And we saw that in the insurgency. You know, we saw people posting about the insurgency in DC and, you know, taking selfies and thinking, hey, this is cool. I'm not going to get arrested by the FBI and go to prison, you know, because I'm protected some, somehow. They have mm -hmm. this bizarre idea of protection. It does not exist. It absolutely does not. But we feel like this. Whereas in, in um, and I think because it, it's a little bit asynchronous. The, even, even if you're in a, a real-time chat, it's, it's still a little asynchronous. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're in, uh, let's say, Allspace VR, you know, I won't even talk about Rumi. Let's say you're in Allspace, which is a great platform for events. I, I, I love this platform. I love the way they do the scheduling, everything. I love the, the way they do the platforms. Um, it's you. Even though you have this mask and I may look like a robot or whatever, or a crazy avatar, it's still me talking to you in my voice. And I'm, I'm interacting with you. So I, I don't have a bubble between us. I can see you, you know, it, it, I don't know. I think it's just your brain is cognitively processing. Oh, I'm actually here. Cause it feels like we are standing in front of each other, even though you're in Dubai and I'm in Seattle, yeah. I feel like we're in the same room. There's I something think, about not having a fixed plane, right? There's something absolutely. about, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the case. I think that's my opinion anyway. That's a great one. I mean, I think uh, there's a lot of, valid points along the way there um i love your i, I love the insurgency example though there there's something to that one that i feel like you know we when we can meet up in person or maybe do our COVID test and have that conversation over some over some drinks um so hey matt have you, i i'm sure you've been in clubhouse by now i actually haven't i have not been in clubhouse yet uh do you, are you an iphone or android yeah. guy I, I actually have both, but I spend okay. almost all my time on my iPhone. All right. If you send your uh, phone number to me, I can give you an invite. Um, it's been kind of a, a really interesting experience there. And a lot of the things you've talked about, I think, apply in Clubhouse, even though, again, it's just 2D, but it and it's, it's only voice. Um, and the amazing thing is their, their valuation. And how quickly they're, you know, gaining, uh, gaining numbers, active users. It's amazing. Some of these rooms last like days, not just hours. It's insane. People get addicted to it. Uh, I'm maybe one of those at the moment. <laughs> but I guess my thought is, it, you know, hopefully soon we're going to see some companies in the collaboration space, the XR collaboration space, like yourself and like Nerf's company, or uh, actually make it, you know, big time like that. Um, do you, how far away do you think we might be from seeing one of one of the companies really take off? I, I would say um, that's a really good question because I'm going to answer it this way. Uh, first of all. Um, I am definitely late to the clubhouse game simply because I'm currently in the spatial computing game and I, it takes up a lot of my time, <laughs> but that's literally the only reason I haven't gone, got into clubhouse, but um, uh, I'm impressed by what clubhouse has been able to do in a very short amount of time. I actually, as an entrepreneur, I deeply respect that. I think it's great. And honestly, they got a lot of hate and a lot of shade when they came out. 
and uh, I like that they're winning, you know, in spite of that. So good for them. That's freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, you know, um, as far as like winning, um, it depends on how you define win. You know, I think a lot of people, I like, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for 20, over 22 years, um, you know, started and sold multiple companies, had one failure. So I've kind of run the gamut and I can tell you that most people define a win by a Facebook win or a Slack win. They think they're going to start the next quote unquote unicorn. We're going to have this giant multi-million dollar valuation and we're going to have a huge exit. And that's the wrong way. That almost never happens. Actually, it's the wrong way to, to when you, when you're, when you seek off the charts growth, you'll probably fail. And the reason is because a lot of people get into uh, the entrepreneurial game starting, you know, early stage cash strap tech companies thinking in 18 months or three years, I'm going to have a giant exit and it doesn't happen. And then they lose their steam because that's not, that's what they started to make money, not to fundamentally change the world or to fundamentally solve some problem. Right. So it, it depends on how you define when. So if you're in the spatial computing company and you started in 2015, 2016, and you're still kicking, that's a win. That is a legitimate win. You may not have, have a multi-million dollar valuation and sell and exit and blah, 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 and be able to buy your own personal island. But that's okay because you're still fundamentally improving humanity. That's a gigantic win because look, we're all going to leave this earth how we came into it with nothing, right? So, so if you, if you, if you need to have the right mindset when you're, when you become an entrepreneur. Um, But I will say uh, there are going to be wins in the spatial computing uh, space, but I don't know what companies are going to win in that space. I can, I don't think it's going to be Oculus at all because a lot of people are, are, um, you know, people are leaving Facebook, you know, in droves uh, as a platform. Um, Oculus is focused on gaming. Um, and I don't think, I think Oculus is too big to be considered a win. I think they've already won. That, that's, that's my point there. I think what we're going to see is a company that has been able to navigate a spatial computing company that's been able to navigate this ever evolving, you know, landscape, this business landscape, and they're going to evolve into something brand new that we don't even think about right now. That, that's completely different. Um, and they're going to find there. their niche and that's going to be the win. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I, I love what you talk about when you talk about finding the niche and that's really where, especially this next few years, because I mean, we haven't even really talked about AR yet, where we just got to find these needs. I don't think necessarily makes sense to hit a home run right now, because even if you did, you're in the little leagues, right? You're not even the minors yet. So it, I think it makes sense to kind of find this place uh, and, and kind of think about more things a little more practically and also define wins rather than um, trying to be the next big company, trying to find customer wins. Like your adoption rates, the fact that your customers don't ask for features, uh, that's a win, right? Um, you're definitely onto something there. Um, I do hope, though, you had mentioned we will leave this world as we came into this world. I came prematurely, so I hopefully I won't leave prematurely because <laughs> uh, I am the best thing Me that too. ever happened. Yeah, I'm the best thing to ever happen to my wife. Uh, so I, I care. I, I care about her. She's in the room. I agree. Renee's <laughs> <laughs> <The> amazing. <laughs> Pass it along. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, 
when we think about collaboration, your stories, what I love about this conversation about collaboration, we didn't talk about all the tactical things like you need a whiteboard, you need a stylus, you need these things that are just really recreations of the things we hate using in the real world. Um, in fact, I think what we really landed on um, is agency, right? You get a chance to be you. And when you're you, there's also accountability in you. And there's also a lot of caring in you. And um, when you talked about like texting or kind of in the in the threads where you're just typing, it's, I didn't think about this until this conversation that like, you know, if you ever try to get a chat thread with me, like I'm very different on chat if I'm writing, especially for like in a WhatsApp, like I very short, not because I'm a short, like in that, in that regard, but it's just for some reason, that's just my brain gets into delivering information, sarcasm and memes. Yes, you'll get a lot of those, but from a really organic, like, you know, natural, how I am even, you know, um, in real life is very different. Um, and you're wondering how much of that then translate to a lot of this async type of conversations. And you're right though, chat is async because you can pause, I can get away, I can do so many other things, uh, even if I respond, am I really there? Um, and I, that's one of the things that makes me so excited about this togetherness and where we're at this platform. Because I think leaders like yourselves, entrepreneurs like yourselves are asking the questions that we didn't ask when we created Zoom or when we created Slack even, right? We're just trying to find quicker ways of doing things. Um, but now we're trying to, you know, really double down on what's the best way to do things. Um, you know, one last question for you, Matt. Um, and this has just been such a fascinating, this has been so much fun, is when, when you think about the future of work and especially how collaboration ties into all this what do you hope to see what do you think the future of work and collaboration looks like to you well i i would say something i, I said when i first started this company was uh this was actually in 2015 we actually didn't release until 2016 was something i believe today which we're seeing happen today so i think the future of work is is already happened but let me say it this way you know i've always said the People will no longer go to work in school. People will simply attend work in school. You know, and we're seeing that reality happen right now because of the pandemic. You know, the the driver of our digital transformations at pretty much every company around the world was not the, you know, hot shit, you know, Ivy League MBA CEO or CTO. It was COVID-19. <laughs> that was the main driver of your digital transformation. Right. And if you weren't prepared for that, you, brother, you may not be employed right now, you know, in those roles. So, um, you know, I, I think what we're happening is one, two things. Number one, we're already seeing people simply attend school through Zoom or through spatial computing platforms uh, like me in VR, like Rumi, like, you know, um, spaces or whatever, you know, all space. We're seeing people attend school, attend work. You know, the commutes are pretty much gone. And that's going to continue. The future of work is not a bunch of expensive office space. You know, REI built a gigantic building for, you know, in-office workers in downtown Bellevue, Washington here. And they sold it. They're like, you know what? We don't need it. <laughs> you know, uh, people at Amazon are getting emails saying, well, think about if you really need to come back to the office because office space is expensive. And I think, so I think that's, that's going to be normal. Um, and I think the world is going to, something will happen or a company will come about, hopefully it's mine, <laughs> that will change the, the world as we know it. And people will just dramatically, we'll see a dramatic adoption 
of spatial computing technologies, and that's going to become our norm. Uh, but I will say, I don't believe the, sp the future of work, and I think I, I think everyone would agree with this. I don't believe the future of work is going to be a giant, clunky, you know, battery-laden, hot HMD that you wear on your face. I don't think it's even going to be glasses, because I don't know about you, but I already wear glasses so that I can see what I'm reading, right? So I don't even want to put on another pair of glasses. I think what we're going to see in the far future, relatively, in that regard, is digital light field technology. I'm going to throw a badge around my neck and then hit a button and boom, it'll project a digital light field in front of my face. So I don't have to actually wear any kind of wearable technology. That will be the wearable technology. You know, one of, one of the things too that I've been thinking about is future work. And as you say, like attending schools and whatnot, is the whole, the whole tax code and how taxes are going to be collected, not just in the country you live in, but globally. It, you know, we, we have really transformed into digital global citizens. Yeah, we have. And, uh, you know, the government will find, figure out a way to make money off of you. <laughs> the digital global <laughs> citizen. You can take that to the bank and you can sleep on that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the next Dogecoin? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Love it. Yeah. You know, so I think, of course, Nirav, while he can't speak, he can still communicate. Unfortunately, he leaves <laughs> us with a quote. You don't have to play. You can follow or lead the way. I want you to join together with the band. Oh, Nirav, I wish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matt, well, any. Well, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Matt, um, any you've, you've given us great nuggets of knowledge and wisdom, even if I if I may say that. But um, any for for those entrepreneurs that are listening in, um, whether they're in spatial or not, emerging technologies, what advice would you have for our listeners? I will absolutely give you this advice for an entrepreneur. Um, it doesn't matter what you're starting. Um, if you are not passionate about that, you will fail. People will, you will, you will hear people tell you, like I, I heard a billionaire say, passion is bullshit. You don't need passion to make money. Well, I can absolutely guarantee you, he was a hedge fund guy. He was passionate about making money, which is why he's a billionaire. So I'm here to tell you, if you're not passionate about what you do, you will fail. So be passionate first. Don't chase money. You know, let the money chase you and, and you will absolutely find some success. Passion. And I appreciate you saying that. I think sometimes we get too tactical around the four P's or, you know, some sort of other code or framework. And, you know, passion is super important. I think that's one of the why we're in this space, emerging technologies overall, because we're building sandcastles, right? You you don't go in with a drawing to build the sandcastle. Let your imagination, let the environment evolve. Um, and I think that's where we're at. Um, and that's uh, why this time is so fascinating to do it, to do it better. Right. And I think that's the challenge is how can we do this better um, and do it together? Uh, and, and I know that's why we show up. That's why we have this podcast. Um, and for those of you listening, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Extended and Blend. And thanks so much for our guest, Matt Chacon, CEO of Doghead Simulations, the, the creators of Rumi. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please do subscribe, share and tune in next time. Thanks again, Matt. Thanks, everybody. This was fun, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it.